Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It is December 7th, 2020. We're just going to dive right into our uh, minute of transparency because it's going to include the welcome, the introduction, the intro, you know, all of that content. And what is it going to be about? Of course, the coronavirus. So let's start off by just saying I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving season. Uh, If you're like us, you had, you know, planned in advance, you had uh, determined what you were going to do, where you were going to go, who you were going to spend Thanksgiving with. And then uh, as we got closer to Thanksgiving, the numbers started to spike again. And so we, you know, started heading back in that direction of... Uh, imposed sanctions and and things like that. Uh, I mean, you know, if you were in a state like California, they started talking about travel and how travel isn't going to be a good idea. Um, I think by the time uh, Thanksgiving hit, they had actually said that if you travel out of state, you're supposed to come back and quarantine for 14 days before you get back to um, your full life in California. So obviously that put a damper on things for people, uh, especially people who had already planned on traveling. So I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, whatever your Thanksgiving looked like. If that was uh, staying at home with the doors locked and just, you know, being with the people around you, or if it meant traveling a little bit uh, and seeing people kind of extended family, you know, whatever you were comfortable with. Uh, I hope you had an enjoyable time, a restful time, uh, and that you were able to kind of uh, unplug from the crazy uh, that this virus has brought upon all of us. So where are we at right now? Well, here we are a week after uh, the the Thanksgiving break. We have, uh, again, numbers that are just out of control. Um, In California, we're back to a, we're actually on a new system now. Uh, Instead of the the colors uh, that we were, you know, per county, we are now on a new system, which is regions. And each region is now being viewed as a color. And it's really a a whole new set of uh, requirements for being open. And uh, these requirements are now based on the number of beds that are available in hospitals, the number of ICU beds, and the the random percentage that they picked is 15%. So as long as you have 15% of your ICU beds available, uh, you know, we can stay at the level we're on. But the minute we dip below 15%, uh, then we start putting back some of the restrictions from uh, previous color levels uh, that we were on before. And unfortunately, uh, within the last few days in California, we dipped down to like 13% or 12% um, ICU bed capacity. And so we are now moving backward and adding restrictions. 
So that means that um, you know certain things will again start to close. Um, everything you push to outside or just pick up or delivery in terms of restaurants, things like that. So again, you know, moving in the wrong direction, completely wrong direction. So I don't know how it is for you, but for, for me, it's just, there's just a level of fatigue, right? That comes along with all of this. You, you know, you want to, you want to do what you can, uh, to continue to, to decrease the numbers and to not be part of the problem. But at the same time, you know, we have to find a way to keep life moving. Um, small businesses can't just shut down every five minutes um, and expect to stay open uh, without, you know, closing their doors for good. And so that's where we're at. Uh, and I, I'm just tired of it. And I know that a lot of you are as well. But it's the life that we're in right now. And so we have to navigate it for sure. All right. Well, let's move to a slightly brighter topic. Um, today's topic is transcending life stages. And we're going to talk about the stages of development, spiraling out of control. And then finally, think just not too much. Number one, the stages of development. For those of you who took a psychology class in high school or college, this might start to sound familiar. Uh, in fact, all I had to do was Google Psychology 101, um, and I found you know, this kind of information, as it's very basic to the study of psychology. Uh, again, again, for those of you who uh, are new to the podcast, uh, if you want links to all of the research I did and all of the, the places where I pulled my content, um, feel free to go to the show notes, and they will be at the bottom. So sure enough, uh, I found this online course, Psychology 101, um, and when you get to chapter eight, you find the classic explanations that we're gonna walk through today. We have Piaget's stages of cognitive development, we have Kohlberg's stages of moral development, and Erickson's stages of psychosocial development. So what it seems like is that, you know, these fathers in the field of psychology, they, they knew something important, right? They knew that there was a structure to the way that we grow and develop. That they're not just, or we're not just here on earth like robots, um, all experiencing the same things, doing the same things, or processing the world in, in the same way. In fact, there are stages that we all go through while developing, and each of us goes through these stages in a slightly different way, which adds to the uniqueness in each of us. So let's just fly through these really quick and give a good uh, solid foundation uh, for where we're heading today in our topic. So Piaget's stages of cognitive development. First, Piaget was primarily focused on kids and, and how they develop early in life. And he focused on development rather than the learning of specific information or behaviors. So the stages are built on a concept called schemas, uh, which are said to be the building blocks that we use to define our world. According to Piaget, a schema is a cohesive, repeatable action sequence processing component actions that are tightly interconnected and governed by a core meaning. So for example, if you were raised a Christian and view the world through that lens, Christianity could be one of the schemas uh, through which you experience the world. 
In terms of development, uh, these schemas start out small and few, but as we develop, they increase in number and complexity. So another important concept uh, to understand with Piaget is this thing called adaptation, uh, which simply put is a person's ability to adjust to the world around them through these processes. First, assimilation. So using an existing schema to deal with something new and unexpected. Accommodation, which is changing an existing schema to fit a new situation because the old schema does, not, does no longer work. Or equilibration, which is the driving force that pushes us through the two above, pushing us to flesh out a new schema and add it to our tool belt. So what are the actual stages? Uh, Piaget's stages. So the first is sensory motor, which takes place between about 18 to 24 months. And what you're learning at that stage is object permanence and schema development regarding things as simple as physical objects. Next, you move into the pre-operational stage from, from uh, 24 months to about age seven. And this stage includes symbolic thinking, the ability for something to stand for something other than itself. And at this stage, it's very difficult to take the viewpoint of others. Next, you have concrete operational, which goes up to about age 11. And this is the beginning of logic or operational thought. So the ability to work things out in your head versus physically in your environment. And then we have formal operational, which is, you know, adolescence and adulthood, which includes the ability to think through abstract concepts. So the ability to logically test ideas and hypotheses. So having an idea and then actually testing to see whether or not it's logical or whether it's uh, true. Like I said, Piaget is mainly focused on the schema development in the early years. However, because many of us find ourselves in the formal operational stage, which is adolescent and adulthood, uh, it is interesting to kind of go back and, and remind ourselves what this stage includes, which, which is things like abstract thought, right? We talked about things like math, gravity, force, acceleration, spirituality, all of the things that are hard to physically see and prove in our environment. However, it's the second part that is truly fascinating, right? It's this ability to create ideas or hypotheses and then test them. For me, this is really what um, Transcend Human is all about. So back in 2019, you know, this, this idea of Transcend Human came to me. And at first it was just a thought, right? It was just something that popped into my head. And then I fleshed it out a bit. I uh, tested it with a few people around me. Uh, and eventually it became a schema for me, right? It's, this is actually a way that helps me understand the world around me and how to approach the world around me. Next, we have Kohlberg's stages of moral development. So Kohlberg was less interested in just basic development, the development of our thinking, and he was more interested in understanding where we get our moral reasoning from. And through his research, he came up with these three stages of moral development. First, the pre-conventional morality. This is the earliest version of morality. This is the concept that rules are viewed as fixed or absolute, and that obeying the rules is important in order to keep you from being punished. Next is conventional morality. 
And so this is living up to social expectations and roles, conformity, uh, considering how our choices influence our relationships. And then finally, there's post-conventional morality. And this is the view that rules and laws are important, but that all members of society should agree on those standards. So this takes into consideration universal ethical principles and abstract reasoning. At this stage, people may follow internalized principles of justice, even if they are in conflict with the rules and laws around them. Kohlberg's ideas were criticized for a number of reasons, um, but I think we can still see an interesting image appear when it comes to morality. In fact, I can totally see these three stages play out in adults around us today. Some of us just follow the rules, period, right? Because we're afraid of the consequences. Then there are others who just go along with things because that's the general consensus, right? It's the majority. Uh, the majority thinks something is right or wrong. We tend to agree and go along for the ride. And then there are some of us who are willing to break the rules if we think that there is a universal ethical principle that is being broken. Sound familiar? I think 2020 has been the perfect backdrop for these three ideas, right? Showcasing each of them um, in the morality that we see played out in the world around us, right? In, on the news, uh, the, in politics, uh, just communities in general. We've definitely seen these three groups of people very distinctly um, in the past few months to probably six months to a year, I would say given everything that's going on in the world. And finally, we have Erickson's stages of psychosocial development. So Erickson came along and focused more on the stages we go through cognitively and socially. The simple explanation is that we need to progress through each stage below in an orderly fashion in order to complete the stages well. If we have problems making it through any stage, um, it can have a negative impact on future stages. And within each stage, there is a virtue that is learned or not. So here they are. First of all, we have trust versus mistrust from birth to about a year and a half. And the virtue there is hope. So in that stage, basically you're learning whether or not you can trust people through the actions of your caregiver. Next is autonomy versus shame from one and a half to about three. And the virtue here is will. So kids are learning at this stage to master physical tasks in order to gain independence. You either become more autonomous with your skills or you become or develop shame rather for not being able to do the things that you try to do. Next is initiative versus guilt, which is from ages three to five. The virtue here is purpose. So at this stage, kids begin playing with other kids and attempting to make up games or activities. And they either learn to be more creative or they start to experience guilt when they don't speak up and initiate things on their own. Next is industry versus inferiority from age five to about 12. The virtue here is competence. So learning and the ability to keep up with others that are learning. Uh, kids feel industrious when they are able to keep up or they feel inferior if they start lagging behind. Next, we have identity versus role confusion from 12 to about 18, and the virtue here is fidelity. So at this stage, adolescents are basically trying to figure out where they fit in. 
right? And what role they play as an adult. If they can figure this out, they will continue to build their identity, but if not, they will experience role confusion. Next, we have intimacy versus isolation from 18 to about age 40. And the virtue here is love. So these are the relationship years, right? Not just the marriage relationship, but just any strong relationship in your life. Learning to love that other person or people uh, around you. Uh, if, if this moves along well, then you experience intimacy. If it doesn't go well, it tends to move you into isolation. Next, we have generativity versus stagnation from age 40 to about 65. Uh, and this, the virtue in this stage is care. So this is the, the middle adulthood years, basically giving back to society through raising families, being productive at work, uh, community involvement, things like that. Now, being successful in this leads to feelings of accomplishment, right? Uh, failing to contribute can often lead to feelings of stagnation and being unproductive. And finally, we have ego integrity versus despair from 65 on. And the virtue here is a wisdom. So this is getting to the age where you start looking back versus looking ahead uh, and either feeling good about the legacy that you've left or feeling guilt or despair that you didn't do your best. Um, if, if you reach this point where you are feeling guilt and despair, um, it often, often leads to feelings of depression and hopelessness. As you can see, Erickson's stages are a bit more complex and a bit more complete. And we can really start to see ourselves in these stages, right, as we look back. I think the important questions that we can ask ourselves, just having this knowledge, is how did I do in each of the stages that I went through? Did I attain the necessary virtue in that stage? In other words, did I learn trust in the first stage or did I learn to mistrust people and so on? If you are seeing or uh, have seen a therapist in the past, uh, you are probably asked about some of these stages, maybe not uh, defined exactly the way that we're talking about them, but there's a good chance that you had conversations about these stages and your perception as to their impact on you. Going back through these stages and dealing with the emotions that stem from each of them can be useful and helpful in successfully navigating future stages of your life. Number two, spiraling out of control. So these theories that we just looked at were some of the main theories that you know I had to study as, as I was in school going through Psychology 101 and then you know working through my master's degree in social work. Um, along with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I didn't really throw in this episode just because we've uh, discussed it two or three times, I think, um, on the show already. However, one that I never did study and one that has grown in popularity as a theory is called spiral dynamics. Uh, it began back in the 60s. Uh, American psychologist uh, Claire W. Graves uh, put forth a theory. And over time, his work uh, was picked up by people like Don Beck and Christopher Cohen. And eventually, they joined forces with Ken Wilber, who had developed a theory called Integral Theory. And the combined knowledge and study led to what we uh, refer to today as Spiral Dynamics or Spiral Dynamics Integral Theory. So enough with the history. What, what is this theory and why should I give a crap, right? 
Well, like the other theories that we've discussed above, they all try to explain something similar, right? They're all looking to define stages, phases, levels, growth, things like that that we go through as we develop or mature. And Spiral Dynamics attempts to combine some of the other theories in order to be kind of the end-all, be-all theory, right? It wants to be this overarching theory that includes all of the other ones. Now, Spiral Dynamics is split into uh, different value systems, and each is given a color. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on any of this stuff, as that would require hours and hours of explanation. Uh, but at least we can walk through the colors and get a feel for the characteristics of each. So here we go. Uh, the first color in Spiral Dynamics is beige, and it's called Survival Sense. So this is considered the most basic value, right? It includes instincts, automatic behaviors, basically satisfying primary biological and reproductive needs. Uh, next is the purple, uh, known as kin spirits. And this is the stage or the value um, system that includes tribal ideas. Uh, kinship is important, a sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself, a desire to keep uh, that unit safe, whether it be family or friends. Uh, it includes things like loyalty. Next, we have red, which is called power gods. And red includes egocentric ideas, exploiting impulsive behaviors, uh, in asserting oneself for dominance or for power, um, only trusting in yourself and selfish desires, uh, being autonomous, decisive, and direct. Next, you have the blue, uh, which is called truth force. Blue includes order, purpose, and morality, uh, the belief that the world is divinely controlled and ordered, uh, that wrong is punished and that right is rewarded, a sense of justice and uh, being an obedient rule follower. Next is orange, which is called Strive Drive. Uh, orange includes autonomy and self-development, positivity, the world is full of ideas, use all available talent and opportunities to make something better, use principles of strategy and uh, be profit-driven, uh, things like that. Uh, very entrepreneurial uh, in this, this color. Next, we have green, which is called human bond. Uh, this includes equality and harmony. Uh, we find love and purpose through affiliation and sharing. Human needs are to be addressed, bottom-up mentality. Uh, everyone is invited to contribute to the greater good. Next, we have yellow, which is called flex flow. And uh, in, in the yellow group, uh, it's talking about things like viewing the world as very complex and self-organized, thinking globally, acting globally, uh, being creative and innovative and visionary, uh, kind of having a transcendent view of the world, um, sometimes can be a bit eclectic um, with in the clouds thinking. And then finally, we have turquoise, which is called whole view. Uh, and this is a very holistic, synergi synergistic, and cosmic view of the world and of our existence. Uh, the Earth is one large holistic organism that's made up of interconnected forces, and humanity has the ability to make it better or destroy it. The ability to see the universe as a whole uh, and work to ensure a peaceful interplay between all as one you can kind of be viewed as, you know, stuck in a, 
in a weird spiritual consciousness um, in this color and, and unable to put your feet on the ground. And this is where the theory gets a bit difficult to understand um, as you kind of see through these different colors and see how they play out. Uh, but here, here are a few final uh, explanations about the theory just to help flesh it out. So each color is a value that a person may have, right? The colors do not represent behavior, only the value behind the behavior. So often, uh, if you identify strongly with a specific color, your behavior changes and aligns with those be or with those values. Now, the other important thing about spiral dynamics is that it's not linear, right? Uh, unlike Erickson's uh, stages that we just talked through, where where you go through each stage in order and one can impact the other, um, you know this is much more free flowing. It's it's why they call it a spiral versus a, a straight line. Uh, each color is said to live on the spiral and it's ever moving and changing. Another important concept is that each of us has each of the colors inside of us on some level. Uh, there are just some that we don't understand or some that we haven't really tapped into yet. These colors have both healthy and unhealthy elements to them. One color is not better than another. So just reading through those explanations, we can see that there are similarities to the other theories. And, you know, even uh, similarities to some of the personality inventories we talked about in the last episode. Uh, each of these is, is attempting to describe us as people, you know, based on our personalities, our ways of thinking, our, our cognitive development, our values, our motivations, etc. And this, I guess, at the core is really what makes us human, right? It's what sets us apart from the animals, the birds, the insects. No matter how smart you think a dolphin is, or a monkey, or a really intelligent dog, the only, they're only smart because they've developed innate responses to environmental stimuli. They have learned over time how to act in order to get a positive outcome. Whether it be true, um, you know, whether they learn this to win a mate, or to find food, or to hunt successfully, or to win attention from a human being, regardless, they've learned the behaviors in a very specific way. But we go way beyond this. Yes, we do the same things as the animals in that we develop behaviors by learning what works and what doesn't. But we take it to the next level by thinking about our thinking. This is the real distinction. Animals develop skills over time. Trial and error typically play a big role in this. But humans are able to step outside that process and analyze it. In essence, we're thinking about the ways that we think. And this is where things like spiral dynamics come from, right? A person with way too much time on his hands sits down and starts to think about the ways we think. And over time, he documents it, he runs it by other people, tests it, refines it, and eventually provides his theory to the world. This theory about the way we think, our values, our value systems, and how eventually each of them impact us, our families, our communities, our workplaces, and eventually the universe. And that's all the farther I want to go, I think. Uh, I just want to give you a high-level overview of the way that we as humans have studied ourselves in order to understand ourselves better. In essence, all of the thinking that we've done about our thinking. Number three, think just not too much. 
Now, I know this statement might rub some of you the wrong way. In fact, Christianity gets a bad rap because of this very idea. Uh, Non-Christians for years have suggested that in order for you to be a Christian, you have to check your brain at the door. This undoubtedly because in order to be a Christian, your rational thought has to share space with this thing we call faith. Faith being a belief in something that is unseen or something that can't be specifically proven. Now, I think we all understand that to believe in the opposite, to believe that we came from nothing, as the evolutionists teach, uh, requires a bit of faith as well. Uh, it's called the missing link, and it was something that even Charles Darwin had to admit required a level of faith, or at least a suspension of disbelief. But it's this concept of faith that we need to talk about, because it sets up a spectrum, right, a continuum of sorts, with complete faith on one end and complete scientific proof on the other. So if you are 100% on the faith side, you will do very little in the way of study, research, or work to find evidence, right? You simply believe and you accept something to be true. If you are 100% on the scientific proof side, uh, you will require that there be no unanswered questions, no stone left unturned. Everything must work out in the end and there must be hard evidence for all of it. Do you know people who live like this? Do you know 100% faith people or 100% science people? My guess is that you may know a few, but it's much more likely that you know a bunch of people somewhere in the middle. Most of us struggle with having faith, but needing proof as well. We understand that a level of faith is required, but really want to make sure that 90% of the rest of it is proven to us, right? It's natural on some level, Nobody wants to be taken advantage of, and putting too many of our eggs in the faith basket seems like it might open us up to be taken advantage of. And this is where the phrase, think, just not too much, comes in. Like Claire Graves, we have the freedom to pick a rabbit hole and dive in. And when I say dive in, I mean really dive in, right? Making it your life's work to understand something. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, on some level, that's what transcend human, controversy theory, and conscience-driven therapy have been for me. Not that it's my full-time gig, but it has been a consistent thing driving me since early 2000. But there is also a danger in the rabbit hole. Uh, if you remember the movie The Matrix, um, Morpheus makes a statement. He says, you take the blue pill, the story ends, and you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And for those of you who saw the movie, you remember that the rabbit hole was very, very deep, right? Neo learned the truth about the life he was living, that it was all a lie. Humans were nothing more than batteries powering a network of machines, and the life that they were living was nothing more than a software program that created a fake world for them to live in. So in the movie, it all worked out, right? There was a reason for going down the rabbit hole, and that's the plot and the climax of the movie. But in this life, life doesn't typically work out like it does in the movies. For us, going down a rabbit hole can do nothing more than distract us at times or disenfranchise us from the very things that are important in life. And unfortunately, we see it play out in the lives of some of our friends or family or just acquaintances on a regular basis. 
So I wanted to walk through an example of this that I saw a good, oh, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, but basically, a, a friend of mine uh, was living a very normal life, appeared totally stable, dedicated to his family. Uh, he had a spiritual life. Uh, he appeared to have a, a really solid set of beliefs that he found to be important. Uh, he was involved in his local church, and he served his community. And then something just changed. You know, I think he saw a rabbit, and he just started to chase it. And I'm not sure what that rabbit was at first, but he decided he was going to dive in 100%. And that rabbit hole just swallowed him up. His research and his study led him to a whole different place, far away from the people that he loved and the people who loved him. In his mind, I don't think he even saw it as a problem, right? He was the enlightened one. He had all of this new information, and everyone around him should have it too. I think he started to believe that his rabbit hole was the same rabbit hole that every person needed to find, and so he needed to tell them about it. His rabbit hole was one of rational thought, poking holes in everything he once believed. Anything that had a faith flavor to it was thrown out as not credible, and for weak-minded people at best. He began taunting other people about their faith. He began demanding that people in his life start to view the world as he did, to the point where people in his life began to wonder if they wanted to be around him at all. Now, as an outsider looking in, I could see the damage being done and how insidious this situation is for many people. On the one hand, the rabbit hole looks nice. It's inviting, right? There are a lot of pretty things to see. And as you go deeper and deeper into the hole, you feel like you're almost there. You're almost at a place where you're the enlightened one, where you have all the answers. Everything makes sense. You found the holy grail, so to speak. I'm sure it's intoxicating, uh, and you can start to view others as less than. Um, if only they had the knowledge that you had, their lives would be so much better. And that's the real danger, right? When your thinking, your knowledge, or your search starts to interfere with your relationships, and when you start to think that your way is the only way, and when you begin to force your knowledge on other people. Now again, knowledge is not the problem. In fact, we should all be searching for and learning new things throughout our lives. But we all understand that too much of a good thing can have neg negative side effects, right? So what we're really talking about here is moderation, right? It's finding the balance between the faith that we have in the unseen and the knowledge that we crave. The Bible makes it pretty clear that we won't know everything. In fact, our brains aren't even capable of understanding things beyond a certain level. Isaiah 55, 8 explains, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Pretty good summary of the fact that we can't even attain the knowledge that God has, right? God's ways and his thoughts are so much higher than ours that we'll just never get there. And that's okay, really, because someday we will get to sit at his feet and listen and we will get to learn from him. We will get to understand all of those little things that we just couldn't quite figure out here on earth. And that's really the role that faith plays in our life, right? It's, it's that belief that it's okay not to know it all right now in exchange for living forever and getting to understand it later. So let's land the plane. Uh, this week, uh, ask yourselves the following questions. First, where do you stand on the whole faith versus knowledge thing? 
Are you a person who has faith and also loves to learn? Or is your faith still something that you struggle with and knowledge is king? Number two, what would it take for you to work on the faith side a little bit this week? Maybe find a good book on the subject, maybe search out a good pastor and listen to some podcast episodes, or maybe just try praying. Tell God that your faith is small and that you want it to grow. I think that's a good start. Uh, today, you know, we really did a high-level overview of, of some of the ways that the world looks at growth, maturation, and development. Our worldly search for knowledge about our species and about our desire to be able to explain everything. And while these theories are deep, rich, and, uh, you know, somewhat hard to understand at times, they really aren't the final answer. They don't really tell us everything we need to know about ourselves. God knew that if he allowed us the capacity to understand everything there is to understand, our minds would probably be blown. Pretty crazy, right? Uh, they say that we only use 10% of the capacity of our brains. And look what we can do with 10%. I can't imagine what it will be like at some point to walk into heaven and have the limiter taken off of our brains. Think about it. What could we do with the other 90%? Think of all of the new things that we're going to experience and learn once we're free from the limitations of this world. So that's it for today. Thanks again for joining us um, in this little walk down memory lane when it comes to some of the basic concepts of psychology. Um, I hope you have a great week. Uh, keep learning and as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.